Okay, guys, we're, uh, we're in Lesson 7. We're going to be looking at uh, the whole issue of the high priest again. Now, last week, we, uh, we talked about Jesus as our high priest. So um, the author, as we get into Chapter 5, wants to express a little bit more about Jesus being our high priest. And so we're going to see that here. Um, we're also going to see him bring up an issue that uh, some people like to talk about, and that is that Jesus, the author will tell us that Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, just real quickly, can anybody tell me who Melchizedek is? Okay, all right, so high priest, a priest, actually, a priest, it doesn't say high priest, I think the text says priest, king of Salem, so he was a priestly king from Salem, okay, which was obviously some area back in uh, in Canaan when Abraham was living. It's in Genesis. Bruce brought up a viewpoint that some people believe that it was the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, that's a viewpoint. There's no text that says that. The Hebrews text, this is why I'm bringing it up. The Hebrews says, text does not say that Jesus is Melchizedek. Okay, so I just want you to be aware of that. When we go through Hebrews, you're not going to find it said anywhere that he's Melchizedek. But what you're going to see is that the text will say he is a priest like Melchizedek. And that's to differentiate Jesus' high priesthood from from the sons of Aaron, which are the Jewish high priests. Okay, so really, what can you say? Is is Melchizedek the pre-incarnate Jesus? Well, that's possible. Okay, that's a viewpoint. It's also possible that he's not. Here's here's my viewpoint. It doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't matter because with unlike some of the other, when we say about a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Usually there's some sort of work or some sort of recognition of the presence of God there. When you look at this appearance of Melchizedek in Genesis, there's neither of that. There's no miracle. There's no recognition that God is in their midst. So, you know, so if you want to hold to that, you can. If you don't hold to that and you don't care, it's okay. Okay. We're going to actually see from this passage today why it's important for us to understand why he's like Melchizedek, okay? So you're not going to hear me say that he is Melchizedek, okay? Does everybody understand? Have I totally confused you? Okay. I was trying not to, but you can be with that, okay? So let's look at these passages. We're going to look today that Jesus is qualified as high priest. We're going to look, first of all, to verses 1 to 4 of chapter 5. Look at what the writer says. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gift and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as the other, he is required as for the people so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron 
was. Okay, so let's look here. Requirements of high priest. First of all, the writer points out that the Jewish high priests were selected from among men. So when we talk about a Jewish high priest, the sons of Aaron, we're talking about guys who were selected from among men. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, it's going to be very obvious to you that they were men. Why? Because some of them messed up. Some of them were guided by wrong. They, you know, they, they, they were human, and they sinned. Now, some of them died because of their sin, but the reality is, is that they were just men. And so the Jewish high priests were selected from among men. Now, here's the other thing. Specifically, the high priest was to be a descendant from the lineage of Aaron. The Old Testament specifically said that the high priest was supposed to be from the tribe of Levi, but specifically a direct descendant of Aaron, who was the brother of who? Moses. Okay, Moses' brother. Okay? If you remember, when you read through the first five books, Aaron is the first high priest. And, and his descendant from then on would be a high priest. Now, by the time of this writing, though, something unusual happened. The high priest was selected by political appointment. Actually, the whole issue of who the high priest was changed during the Maccabean Revolt. Anybody know when the, what the Maccabean Revolt was? All right, you know that when Malachi ends in the Old Testament... And then the beginning of the Gospels, there's about a 400-year period of silence. It's called the silent years. Everybody know that? 400 years of silence, 400 years of no revelation from God. During that time period is when, remember when we studied through, uh, through Daniel, he gave all those prophecies about the Greek period and so forth, about how they were going to dominate, and Antiochus Epiphanes and so forth. You know, about 200 B.C., there emerged a, a, a Levite by the name of Maccabee who, who revolted against the Greek rulers, the Hellenistic rulers. And for a period, right before the Romans came and took everything over, they kind of ruled for themselves. It was called the Hasmonean Kingdom. And in the Hasmonean Kingdom, the high priest to serve in the temple was not selected from the sons of Aaron. He was actually appointed by the political rulers of that time. So by the time you get to Jesus' time, remember, we see a couple of high priests there. We see Annas and Caiaphas. They were political appointments. Those guys as high priests were not the direct descendants of Aaron. They may not have even been from the same tribe of Levi. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They were politically appointed by the Romans. And the Romans didn't like the Jewish way. The Jewish way was, if you were a high priest, you were a high priest for how long? For a lifetime. For the Romans, they didn't like that. They didn't like having anybody in charge of anything forever except Caesar. So they would make appointments based upon their whim and how they liked you or not. And so by the time of this writing, the high priest is no longer a son of Aaron, but simply a political lackey. 
Somebody who may be paid for the office. That happened a lot too. Let's say you wanted to be high priest. So you paid the Roman authorities off with lots of gold or promises of gold to get the office. Okay? You paid for your office. And that happened a lot. So by the time of this writing, the high priest is is, is not what it was supposed to be. So here's what the high priest is. They were told to serve as the representative concerning all matters pertaining to God. So the, the writer is telling us concerning all the matters pertaining to God, the high priest was supposed to serve the people. He was the mediator. He would go and make atonement for their sins. In fact, their high priests were to offer gifts and sacrifices for the sins of the people. So it was the job of the high priest to make sacrifices and gifts to God because of the sins of the Jewish people. Now notice I said Jewish people. The high priest didn't make sin offering for who? Yeah, for Gentiles. Now, who's Gentiles? Yeah, for us. Okay? So there was no offering of sin for us. Now, here's their disposition. The high priest was to have compassion on those who were ignorant. Now, what what kind of ignorance do you think he's talking about here? Not a lack of knowledge. Okay, ignorance of God, possibly. Anybody else? What else do you think that maybe we're ignorant of? Yeah, ignorant of their sins. Okay, so for instance, have you ever noticed people when they're doing wrong, some people just don't know any better? Maybe they were raised in a wrong environment where they weren't taught right and wrong. Maybe they it never had any clue, and so they just engage in activities or in behavior that's wrong, and they don't know. They don't. They don't know anymore. Like you know that lying is wrong. That's our culture now. Our culture thinks lying's okay, right? It does. How do you know that, George? Well, I remember, and when Bill Clinton got elected to a second term, I remember this was on CBS News. They took a poll of people, and and they said, how many of you believe that Bill Clinton is a liar? 75% of Americans said Bill Clinton is a liar. And then here's what it said. The same 75% said it really doesn't matter just so he can do the job. Now that, listen to me, was 20 years ago. We have actually digressed further than that now, haven't we? Okay, so we, we live in a culture where lying is, is accepted. So people will sin a lot of times out of what? Ignorance. See, sins are not just the ones that you specifically know that you're doing. It is possible, is it not, for you to sin without knowing that you're sinning? Okay, so the high priest then was to have compassion on those who were ignorant. Ignorant concerning what? Their sins. Not just knowledge. Not just an understanding of God. But ignorant of their sins. 
ignorant of what they were doing, what what the ramifications were they doing. So the high priest was supposed to be a compassionate person, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean they always were, okay? But they were supposed to be, the, the writer is saying here. So the high priest was to have compassion on those who have gone astray. So the representative of God here was to... Have compassion on those who've gone astray. All right, let's back up here for a minute. He's describing the high priest. We just saw last week, who's our high priest? Jesus. Okay. These last two points. Think about that and think about Jesus being your high priest. What does that say to you? What do you get from that? The last two points. He was to have compassion on the ignorant, compassion on those who've gone astray, and we know that Jesus is our high priest. So it's describing Jesus. What's the comfort in that? Okay, he understands. What else? Okay, he's merciful. Bruce is, is Bruce the only one who's going to talk for the crowd today? Okay, the mediator. Okay, Bruce is going good, but I mean, he's your spokesman. Some of you got it going through your mind. Speak up, okay? He forgets, okay? What else? Are you going to be peaceful that you have a high priest who, who doesn't condemn you? Okay? Or anybody else? Isn't that, isn't that, think about it. He, he's compassionate towards the ignorant who are ignorant of their sins, and he's compassionate towards those who have what? Gone astray. Now, do you guys go astray? Now, but do you see how powerful that is? Because, okay, now, can I be honest with you? When it comes to sin and going astray, how compassionate is the church? Oh, a lot of grumbling now. How compassionate has been the church? Boy, everybody's mumbling, but nobody's saying anything. Yeah, not good. We haven't been. In fact, we're the finger waggers, right? We're always wagging fingers at people. And the last thing that people expect from the church is what? Compassion. You know what? I'll I'll never forget. It's a great book if you want to read it. Especially if you were raised in church with that kind of atmosphere. And it's a, a book by Philip Yancey. What's so amazing about grace? Okay? And in that book, Philip Yancey shares a story that a friend of his told him, and that is his friend was a counselor in the Detroit area, and he was counseling a woman who was a prostitute, and the woman really put him in a precarious position because he's a mandated reporter, told Philip's friend that uh, she was prostituting out her daughter, her little daughter. And so they're talking about this, and she's feeling really bad. And his friend, who's a Christian counselor, said, well, have you ever thought about going to the church for help? And this was in the book. This is how he starts off the book. The response was, why would I go there? 
I already feel terrible about myself enough. And I thought, wow. Isn't that, isn't that, that's an indictment against who? Us. The church. But our high priest, the high priest, he, he is one who, what? Has compassion. Man, who, guess whose example we need to follow, huh? Do you know what I'm saying? Guess whose example we need to follow. So he has compassion on those who have gone astray. Now, here's the thing. This is due to the fact that the high priest was subject to weakness in the area of sin. The reason why, and this is a good lesson for all of us here, the reason why the high priest was to be compassionate to those who mess up, to those who go astray, is because he was subject to the very same what? Tendencies. Same temptations. Same weaknesses. Okay? Now, let me just stop for a moment. You want to know how to get rid of your critical spirit about somebody else who's not doing right? You want to know how to get rid of your judgmental attitude about somebody's sin? Get a better understanding of your own sin and what it costs Jesus and how God sees it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have a greater view of your own sin, you'll be more compassionate to others who fall and who stray and who stumble. You won't be as condemning. You won't be as critical. In fact, you'll be heartbroken because you'll be heartbroken for your own stuff But then you'll be heartbroken for them because you realize they're caught in a trap too. Did you understand what I'm saying? In fact, everybody turn your Bibles right now to Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. This is the attitude that we are told from the Apostle Paul. Just turn back a few books. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Turn back a few pages there and look at how Paul tells us that we're to approach those who are not doing right in the church. I was introduced to this about ten years ago. I was shocked. I didn't even realize this was in the Bible because I sure didn't see it evidenced in the church, even among the leaders. Okay, so who will read that for us? Yeah, Rhonda? Okay, let's stop for a moment. Let's take so, brethren, if you have somebody among you who is overtaken in sin, so you got somebody who's struggling, who's battling it, he's in it. You who are spiritual are to go to them and seek to what? Now, what's the punish them? Do you notice that word "punish" is in that passage, right? Is it in there? Is it in that verse? No, isn't that what we want to do? Isn't that what we want to do? Is we want to punish people? Okay? What's the word that's there? You are to what with the brother who's doing wrong? Restore. See, this is the thing I want you to understand. That in a Christian church, what we are wanting to do is with people who are not doing right is to restore them. Restore them to what? A relationship with God. Not to beat them up. 
Now, now notice the attitude in which we're to restore them with. What, what does it say there? Two words. With a spirit of what? Gentleness and what? Meekness. See, we got a lot to learn from our what? High priest. Now, Galatians 6.1 tells you why you got to have this attitude. What's the last part of 6.1? What does it say? Yeah, lest you yourself be tempted. You know what? My attitude is, is here's the thing. i got people who come in all the time and they'll tell me their stuff. And I, a lot of times I don't want to hear it. But I, I have a, I tend to be compassionate with people. Why? Because when they sit across from me, I look at them and I realize real quickly, you know, given the same situation, the same circumstances, who's to say it wouldn't be me? Given the same circumstances, same situation, Who's to say it wouldn't be me? Folks, that's the attitude we need to have. That was what the attitude of the high priest should have been. You and I cannot stand over anyone and say that we are better. Nobody. No preacher. Nobody. That's why the high priest was supposed to be compassionate. Man, we need to be compassionate. That's, aren't you glad Jesus is compassionate? You know what I'm saying? So let's go on now. So I had to, I had to take that time and just point out to you, uh, where we're at with the church because we talk about the high priest here. Look, look with the next point there. The fact required that the high priest to not only offer sacrifice for the people's sin, but his own. This fact required, because of the the fact that the high priest was weak, he had to offer sacrifice, not just for the people, but for himself. That's why, can I be honest with you, when they were really serious, they would tie a rope to the the, the high priest's ankle, because when he went in there, if he wasn't right with God, he died. So nobody could just go in there and get his body. They had to what? Pull them out of behind the curtain. In fact, here's what they do. They would put bells on the outfit of the high priest. As long as they heard the bells, they know he's in there alive. If there was a period of silence for a while, and they don't hear nothing going on back there, oh, I guess he's dead. Yeah, they yank the rope, yank him out of there, okay? Now, No one appoints himself to be high priest. Only God can appoint him. That's the point the writer is saying here. No one appoints himself to be high priest. Only God can appoint him. Now let's look at verses 5 through 10. We're going to see the calling of the Son. Because Jesus is our high priest, so we're going to see how he became the high priest here. Look at what he says, verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, But it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplication and vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. 
And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, so let's look here. First of all, the Son of God. The writer points out that Jesus Christ did not seek to glorify himself to become high priest. So the first thing he's going to let you know off right off the bat is, is that being high priest was not something that Jesus Christ was seeking for himself. All right, so this is not something he was seeking for himself. God the Father declares Jesus Christ to be his son. The writer makes it very clear that God the Father declared Jesus Christ to be his son. Can I go on? Okay. God the Father declares Jesus Christ to be a priest forever. Now, the interesting thing about the the sons of Aaron was the guy only remained re, remained high priest as long as he was what? Alive. Now, Jesus Christ is high priest because he's alive forever. He's eternal. Okay? Now, God declared that Jesus was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So again, remember now what we're talking about here. He's a high priest separate from the sons of Aaron. So he's of a different type of priestly order, not from the sons of Aaron, but according to the order of Melchizedek. And you'll find that there in Genesis 18, Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Here, I'll read you what it says. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought some bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the God of the God of Most High, possessor of heaven and the earth. Blessed be the God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, that's speaking of Abram, gave him a tithe of all. That is the brief few verses that talk about Melchizedek from the book of Genesis. Now, the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to understand that when we talk about Jesus as being a high priest, we're not talking about him belonging to the priesthood of Aaron. We're talking about him belonging to the priesthood of Melchizedek. Okay? So let's go on. As he faced death on the cross, Jesus cried out to God who was able to save him from death. Now, let's stop for a moment. You say, okay, wait a minute, George. Hold on. I I remember reading the Gospels. He died on the cross. He was buried. What do you mean he saved him from death? He didn't save him from the cross. No, he saved him from death. In what way? He was resurrected. That's what it's speaking of here. He saved him from the permanency of death because of the bodily resurrection. All right, let's go on. The writer points out that God heard Jesus' cries because of his submission to God's will. Now, you'll see that over and over in the New Testament, whether it's the writing of Paul, you'll see over and over the emphasis is is that Jesus went to the cross not because he loved you. I hate to burst your bubble on that one. He went to the cross because he was being obedient to who? God. Who loved you? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? God the Father loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who's the one who loved the world? God. Jesus goes to the cross. Yes, he does love us. But that's not his reason for going to the cross. His reason for going to the cross was he was being what? Obedient to who? God the Father. Okay? He was being in submission to God's will. So God heard his cries, is what the writer is pointing out here. So even though Jesus Christ was God's son, he learned obedience through suffering. He learned obedience through suffering. So Jesus Christ was made perfect or complete through his sufferings. The writer points out that Jesus Christ was made perfect or complete through his sufferings. Now let's stop for a moment. You and I need to develop, whether you realize it or not, you are developing a theology in your life. You say, well, I'm not a theologian. I'm not studying the Bible like you are, George. No, no, but you have a theology. A theology is what you believe about God. And you and I need to develop in our what we believe about God a theology of suffering. You need to have an understanding of suffering in your life. The reason why so many people go wrong in their Christian faith is because they don't have an understanding of suffering. Because maybe they've bought into some sort of lie, and it's out there, especially today in, in North American Christianity, that everything's supposed to be wonderful, and God's going to love you and make things right, and, and you're going to be blessed, and everything should be going okay. And if there's a problem, it's because of you and your lack of faith or your sin. Folks, that's a lie. If you've got a problem, it may not have anything to do with you. It may simply have to do with the world that you live in, period. Did you know what I mean? I mean, you could be riding high in your relationship with Jesus and go to work and the world turn upside down and it have nothing to do with you. It's just the world we live in. Did you understand what I'm saying? And you're sitting there saying, what did I do to deserve this? Here's what I would say to you. You didn't do anything. You just happen to be living in the wrong place. What do you mean living in the wrong place? You live on planet Earth, marked by sin. And you're not yet in heaven where perfection is. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so the reality is, is that you, need, you and I need to understand that God allows suffering in our lives for many reasons, just like he allowed it in Jesus' life. What, to learn obedience? To be made complete or mature. Isn't that what James talks about in the very first chapter? Count it all joy when you go through trials because it what brings about maturity in your life. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Okay, let me stop. You say, oh, that's kind of hard for me to grasp, George. What do you mean I'm getting mature because of the junk I'm going through? Okay, well, let me just stop for a moment. You're, some of you are here have been stomping around this earth for a long time. I want you to think about the junk you're going through right now. Could you have gone through that when you were 18? 
How could you have had, could you have handled it when you were 18? Could you? The stuff that you're facing right now, could you have handled it then? Okay. <laughs> okay. For those of you who are not having senior moments like uh, Bruce here, okay? Could you have handled it back then? No. What did that experience say? If you think back, or think back over your life, think about the common, think about collectively all the stuff that you're trying to forget, all the the hurtful things, all of the the suffering, all of the bad things, all of the crises and everything. Think about cumulatively what they produced in your life. Maturity, hopefully. A skin of a rhinoceros. Did you know what I mean? You know, I've shared with you before, my first experience in my first church was not the greatest. Okay? And I remember when we resigned and left there, I, you know, I was really, I, I must have been in a, like a low-grade depression. And a pastor from a church, a friend in the same denomination, from a bigger church in town, 12 miles away, called me and said, Hey, George, I want you to come visit me before you leave town, before you leave our area. So I went to go visit him. And his name was George as well. And so I went to see George, and, and George was sitting there asking me how we are doing, how Lori and I were doing, how the kids were doing, and made sure that we were doing okay. And then here's what he said, and I'll never forget this. Because I thought I was done as far as pastoring. I thought I was finished. And he said to me, I'll never forget these words. He said, George, you'll pastor again. You will pastor again. And then he said, when you're in your next church and stuff happens in your next church, you will look at it and say, that ain't nothing. I've wrestled with tigers before. You will pastor again. And you know what? He's right. The more stuff you go through, it perfects you. It matures you, does it not? So that when you get older, you're not <laughs> screaming and hollering about whatever's happening because you can say, you know what? I've wrestled with gorillas. I've wrestled with tigers. I've wrestled with rhinoceroses. You know what I'm saying? What are you laughing about, Rob? <laughs> Gorillas? <laughs> okay, whatever don't kill you makes you stronger. Okay. Rob's mom said that. Okay, so if you write that one down, whatever don't kill you makes you stronger, put down Rob's mom. Okay? All right. That'll, that's tweetable for those of you who tweet. Okay? So we see here Jesus Christ was made perfect or complete through suffering. So we're being made complete. Jesus Christ became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When we talk about faith in the book of Hebrews, faith and obedience are often equated. Did you understand what I'm saying? You have faith and belief in Jesus, but that's going to equal to you what? Obeying and doing what he says. Is that not what Jesus said? If you love me, you will what? 
keep my commandments. So Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So the writer restates the fact that Jesus Christ was called by God as what? High priest. He's our high priest. And again, the writer states that Jesus was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And so we'll, we'll expand that out a little bit more later. He's going to help you to understand what does that mean to be a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He'll talk about that later. Now next week, we're going to talk about the problem of immaturity. Because he's talking about that you, suffering brings about maturity. He's talking about perfection in your life and you maturing. But he's going to talk about the issue of immaturity. Okay? And he's going to talk about you going, getting beyond your immaturity and progressing in your faith. We're going to see that in the the next part of chapter 5. So that's what we're going to look at next week.